Welcome to Common Ground Berlin, a podcast in which we delve into issues that matter to you here in the German capital and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Berlin just wrapped up its eighth annual beer week, and the annual Oktoberfest in Munich starts on Saturday. So what better time for Common Ground Berlin and the Checkpoint Charlie Foundation to bring you an episode on German beer? But first, a bit of news for brewers and consumers that isn't great. The consumption of beer in Germany is going down, in part because the price of beer is going up. In a Zoom interview, senior producer Dina El-Sayed discussed the decline with beer historian Christina Schoenberger. Yeah, I think that's just um, a general um, zeitgeist thing. So in the 80s, when the numbers were really high and there was no control when you took the car to go somewhere, people were just drinking much more. I remember in my childhood that we had so many Stammtische in our little town that every night the same people were sitting at the same Stammtische and having the same amounts of beers, and that is slowly dying. So we are losing consumers in the different uh, ages. So the young people often don't have a relation to beer or they have... um, also um, a strong avoidance to alcohol. So a lot of young people are really very much into a healthy nutrition, avoiding alcohol. I think that is just um, a generational thing that is changing. And then I think it's also a structural thing that you don't have these places any longer that you had for 100 years that you find your buddies at the same restaurant uh, three nights a week or so. This, This tradition is slowly dying. Some brewers who are seeking to increase the variety of available beers and public interest in beer drinking see another hurdle beyond cost. Their concern is about something uniquely German called the Reinheitsgebot, or purity law. The original law traces its roots back half a millennium to when King Henry VIII welcomed the birth of Mary, his daughter who would eventually become queen. But it was a different royal, Duke William IV of Bavaria, who issued the Reinheitsgebot, which stated that only barley, hops, and water could be used to make beer in his domain. Over the years, the purity law spread across Germany and evolved to include yeast. And when European markets integrated in the mid-20th century, German brewers used it to try and protect themselves from foreign competition. But such purity law restrictions were quashed by the European Court of Justice in 1987. Nowadays, such restrictions are limited to Germany, where beer can be called beer if brewers follow the updated version of the Reinheitsgebot, or if they are able to gain an exception from the courts. Advocates of changing or removing the purity law complain that it is slowing Germany down in adopting beer trends that are popular elsewhere. Dina spoke about that with a beer historian who we heard from earlier, Christina Schoenberger, who is also the head of Brewing Solutions by Bathas. Can you point us to any statistics on Reinheitsgebot versus craft beer consumption? That's a good question. I mean, the general statistics about the per capita consumption, um, I think it's only the number for Germany in total that we drink, I think, 90 liters a year. And that's only half of what the Czech people drink. And we used to have 120, so this is slowly decreasing. And um, from my work, I know that we normally say that the total amount of craft is maybe 3 to 5% of the total wow. uh, market um, globally. 
in Germany, I would even go lower. So maybe it's one to two percent. I mean, that's really just an assumption. Um, I don't think there's hard statistics that you could find. What do you think is special about the way Germany brews beers in comparison to other countries? One side is the, the consumer side, so that the Germans, they really um, now are big fans of, um, or always have been big fans of lager type beers. So it's always either a Helles or a Pilsner. And we have so many um, family breweries and great breweries with long traditions that um, these type of beers are really excellent or brewed excellently. So you find a lot of really superb lager beers in Germany. This is also, I think, by um, the craft beers having a hard time um, because it doesn't fit into the German beer tradition. Basically, all the German beers are craft beers. And the German consumer needs a lot of time to open up to a beer that is not a lager-style beer. And there's so much explanation needed that... I mean, now it's maybe 10 years or 15 years, and we see in Germany we have a really tough time with the craft beers that they can run a good business um, and attract enough um, consumers for a good living. And I think this is the difference to other European countries. In Italy, we have a lot of um, opening breweries, successful breweries, craft breweries, because the consumers in all the other countries, they don't have this uh, deep narrow understanding of how beer should exactly taste. So these are all more open consumers than the German ours. But is the Reinheitsgebot still relevant or has it become outdated in your opinion? Uh, that's a big question. It's also um, actually a complex topic because the Reinheitsgebot itself, which goes back to 1516, that is the original Reinheitsgebot, but legally binding is only the Vorläufige Biergesetz. And in this Vorläufige Biergesetz, it's very detailed, written, what you can use during the brewing process, um, which materials, which additional materials like malt concentrate or um, beer color to change the beer color, things like that. That is very clearly um, detailed how they, these things can be used. And Especially for hops, it's also limiting because um, when we talk about hops, it wasn't clear for a long time if we can actually um, add hops in the final beer, what we call dry hopping, what the UK people and the American brewers um, are doing with all the craft beers. So this is only clear since 2011 that this is uh, in accordance with the Reinheitsgebot or the Biergesetz. But a lot of the different products, um, also hop products or brewing products, cannot be used in Germany. I think it's still a valuable message for the consumer that we have this strong or the strict regulation. But I wish it would be a little bit more open towards natural ingredients. Um, and that is really a very difficult topic because nobody wants to touch mm -hmm. the Reinheit's boat, of course. So it, it has uh, benefits, but it also limits a little bit the innovative possibilities in Germany for beer brewing. Well, that brings me to the next question, and that is, do you think the German beer industry is falling behind some of the other countries we mentioned? So like the US, Belgium or Italy because of the Reinheitsgebot restrictions? Actually, I don't think that is the case because what Germans brewers can do, what others brewers maybe are not so good at, They really know um, the technology of brewing. 
So um, if other brewers can use um, a product to enhance the foam, German brewers have to use technological tricks to have a stable foam. So in terms of expertise, um, the German brewers are really top. And I also think that maybe the German beer market is a little bit more stable. So we see a lot of movement in the US, um, gaining output, but also losing output. And in Germany, everything seems to take much more time, which is sometimes frustrating. Um, on the other hand, it's also a little bit more stable for the whole industry. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much, uh, or it's not entirely about the production side, but also the consumption side, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Germans are stable beer drinkers at least. <laughs> yeah, I think it applies to like stability is definitely a beloved uh, status quo here. Do you have a preference yourself? Do you prefer to drink craft beers or traditionally <laughs> brewed beers? Um, yeah, actually I like all beers that are perfectly brewed. Personally, I prefer Pilsner over Lager, so obviously I'm a hops person, so I like bitterness and I like hop aroma. I love a lot of the Indian pale ales or general the pale ales, um, but I also like beers like Guinness or, or dark beers. I love the Belgium beers um, with um, the different yeast um, aromas. So as long as um, there are no um, defects in the beer and the flavor is in balance. I have a lot of favorite beers. <laughs> I want to get back to this expression you just used, as long as it's perfectly brewed. What is a perfectly brewed beer, in your opinion? What makes it perfect? It's all about the flavor. So if you are a brewer, um, you know which compounds can um, be produced during the brewing process, which are also um, put in the brewing uh, process. So there are a couple of typical off flavors that as a brewer you don't want to have in beer. One, for example, is a DMS, that is a sulfur type, um, cabbage type flavor. And then you can relate this to a production issue or fermentation issue. Uh, if you are not knowledgeable, you can also like this flavor. And then this beer is also perfect for you. But uh, if you're a trained brewer or if you really know a lot about the components, you know these um, off flavors by heart. And then if you run into those, that could be um, also oxidation flavor. It could also be diacetyl, that is a buttery flavor. But in certain beer styles, that, that is also a positive flavor. So that depends on uh, what your preferences are. If you have all this in your head, you never drink a beer without automatically um, making a, a judgment. We've talked about this briefly, but I wanted to ask you to expand more on your perception of the craft beer scene, especially in Berlin. You mentioned that in Germany in general, it's not flourishing as much as in mm -hmm. other countries. What about in Berlin? And what about differences between different parts of Germany? Are there different consumption mm -hmm. habits and production habits? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, if craft beer can be successful somewhere in Germany, it probably would be Berlin because Berlin is just different from the rest of Germany and also the most yeah, um, cosmopolitan town that we have. And there are a lot of really nice craft brewers doing a lot of effort in Berlin and also a lot of big breweries uh, like the Brewdog Brewery, who is uh, now um, investing in, in Berlin as well. 
There was also for a couple of years in Munich a lot of craft breweries and still there are some. But I think specifically the South is the tougher part of uh, Germany for craft beer success because of this very deep connection to lager style beers and also a little bit maybe mentally that the Southern Germans are not so open to new things than maybe Northern Germans. So I think Hamburg is also a very open-minded city. So the other place after Berlin would be Hamburg, where craft beer has a real chance. The popularity of craft beer in Berlin is certainly evident at Bira. <laughs> the Italian craft beer pub in Prenzlauer Berg is packed on this sweltering evening. The customers, offerings, and even the beer taps highlight the international rather than German approach to brews here. Barkeep Alfonso Strianesi says his bar uses a British system to dispense beer, one of only two in Berlin that do so. To him, the debate over Reinheitsgebot versus craft beer is one of semantics, and he adds that these days he sees overlap between the two styles. Probably the 85-90% of craft beer uh, are following the Reinheitsgebot because it's water, barley malt, uh, hops, and uh, yeast. So you think there's not a conflict? You think it's, it's no, a... no, no, it's, it's just, a, for example, the sour we have is a kind of Belgian style. They always use uh, fruit, uh, something like that. But the classic, uh, the base of this fruit beer Respect the Reinheitsgebot because it's uh, water, barley malt, yeast, and uh, hops. Is it time for there to be more variation and more experimentation? No, but I think also now in uh, also in Germany there is, there are a lot of uh, craft beer breweries. But as I said before, in Oberfranken or in Franken, Bavaria. Eh? There are a lot of, yeah, probably more than 300 familiar breweries uh, own, run by families. They are not pasteurizing and they are not filtering. They are 100% craft beer. In, in Germany, they always add craft beer. If, if we intend craft beer as independent, unpasteurized and unfiltered. And they are very small, very, very small. For example, in the United States, what they consider craft can produce also, I don't know, 500,000 hectoliters because they are very big. They, they are the only thing that you need to have in, uh, in, in USA it's independent, unfiltered, unpasteurized. But you can produce million hectoliter. Uh, no, they are very small. He also claims most people here don't care if the beers they drink follow the purity law. Uh, the Renetskebot was important uh, in the 15, 16 uh, to preserve the, um, the wheat because they needed the wheat to make bread. So they decided to use 100% barley malt. But one of the most famous, most popular uh, German beer is made 50% of Weizen uh, wheat. That is uh, the, the Weizen beer. Another typical German beer or they have a lot of old styles. That's now the craft beer breweries in Germany, they are producing again. For example, in Leipzig they have Gose, that is made with salt and coriander, and uh, milk sour bakter. 
in uh, Berlin. Berlin is fa was famous for the Berliner Weisse, and the old recipe of the Berliner Weisse is uh, Brettanomyces, the, instead of the classic uh, yeast. There is the Lichtenainer also in this area of Germany. That is made uh, also with the milch sour beer. Is a sour beer. The Grodziski or the Grazer is a hundred percent ah like the Lichtenainer. It's hundred percent uh, wheat malt. So it's not respecting Reinhardt German beers. And the most famous of these is, is the Gose from Leipzig, salts and coriander. At one of Biela's outside tables, 60-year-old Henning, who is a German customer from Hamburg, says he finds Reinheitsgebot beers, quote, boring. I'm always curious about beers that have fruits and spices, like this one I'm drinking. The most interesting beers are the ones that do not comply with the purity law. These are beers that have herbs in them, or milk stouts. I think there's lactose in them. I find they taste much more exciting than beers made according to the purity law. But there are also plenty of fans in Berlin of beer done the old, traditional way. Many of them visit Henne, a pub dating back to 1908 that serves only beers that comply with the Reinheitsgebot. My husband Eric and I joined our friends Jan Katzmarzik and his fiancée Vittoria for purity law beers delivered via German-style taps. Jan is a tour guide in Berlin who was born in southern Germany where the Reinheitsgebot originated. I asked him about the beer he's drinking. It's Andexa. Kloster beer. Um, it's from a um, little city close to Munich, and it's definitely brewed after the German law of purity. Do you care if the beers you drink have follow the Reinheitsgebot or purity law or not? Not really, actually. It depends very much on what mood I am, and today I felt like Andexa, and uh, I really love it, but I really love an IPA that's not brewed after the law of purity as well. Do you think that the law holds back German beer? Critics say that it's time to let German brewers be more creative, that craft beers, IPAs, I mean, that Germany's falling behind other countries in these kind of beers that are becoming more popular because it's focused on this law that's more than 500 years old. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, drinking beer should be a part of a basic freedom. And if you do not want to have beer that is brewed after the uh, purity law, then it's all right. Do you think that the Reinheitsgebot should be a UNESCO cultural icon or, or heritage? I mean, is this something that defines Germany? Well, yes, that could be. Um, it could be definitely a UNESCO World Heritage thing, but um, I don't think it should be mandatory uh, to brew beer after the German Reinheitsgebot. There should be a certain liberty to brew whatever. There will always be a market for um, for both. There will always be people who prefer it. And I think you should have the freedom to choose what you want to drink. You lead tours of a lot of foreigners who come here and Germans as well. Do people ask you about the Reinheitsgebot or to get that kind of beer? Um, no, that hasn't been a topic yet, actually. not. I mostly work on the um, international market and... Um, that is actually not really a topic here. People come with the expectation that they will have great beer here, but nobody asks about the law of purity. So what is uh, your favorite beer? 
Well, this is actually pretty much in the, in the top 10. Uh, the Andex the Kloster beer. Um, I like rather the Helle, um, the lagers from southern Germany. Not so much the Pilsner from the north. It's, for my personal taste, a little bit too bitter. Um, I enjoy wheat beer, um, also usually from southern Germany. And um, I do like a couple of craft beers, but those are usually from very small breweries around here in Berlin. So German beer, though, regardless? Yes. Uh, by accident, yes. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a beer nationalist. I'm, I'm open to drink other beers as well. And tell me again about this brewery you were telling me before off tape, so tell me now on tape. I believe it's the oldest brewery in Germany, but don't name me down on that. It's written on the market, it's 1455, so that is pretty old. It's close to Munich, it's probably the oldest brewery in Germany. And they're famous for um, also their strong beer, so they are pretty popular and uh, definitely one of the German heritages here. Can you say something about it being the strongest beer? It's a different German tradition. It's a German tradition that during Lent, the monks had a tendency to brew these uh, very strong beers, also very um, high on calories, to get their carbs in and to get over Lent in uh, over these six weeks before Easter. The Andexer Doppelbock is one of the strongest beers in Germany. I'm not sure about. No, sorry. There's another one which is stronger, I believe, but it's definitely one of the higher ones on alcohol. And um, yes, uh, they are certainly known for the Andexer Doppelbock. Later, Dina and I head south to check out the monastery-run brewery Jan was raving about. Klosterbrauerei Andex, located less than an hour from Munich, produces 10 different types of beer, including an alcohol-free wheat beer, which they began making in 2016. Yearly, it produces about 10 million liters, or 2.6 million gallons of beer, most of it consumed in Germany. Martin Glapp is the spokesman for Klosterbrauerei Andex, where monks began making beer years before Duke William IV introduced the purity law. We are a Klosterbrauerei. We are a monastic brewery, and not just because there used to be a monastery on site, but because a monastic community still lives here today. Here at Andex, there are four monks. There's also a monastery that we were connected to in Munich, where nine monks live. All strategic decisions that affect the brewery are not made by economists, nor are they made by expert consultants, but rather by a monastic community that has repeatedly emphasized that we will never give up our special brewing process and two-tank process. Each new type of beer we come up with is actually discussed intensively within this monastic community. But there is nothing traditional about the modern and shiny equipment in the brewery that helped create Andex beers. An automated glass sorter with an electronic eye makes sure only the right kind of recycled bottles end up being used for the beer. Glub points to recycled clear and green glass bottles moving down the conveyor belt and that are tucked between the recycled brown beer bottles that they use for filling. Removing the wrong bottles costs time and money, he says, but the computerized sorter makes quicker work of it than if employees had to sort the glass by hand. 
Glob says every so often they do a spot check by inserting a clear bottle on the assembly line to make sure the automated inspection is working properly. He points to one clear glass bottle and says, that one will come around the corner in a moment and should be automatically discarded here. It happens so quickly that we miss it. Getting the glassware clean also involves an environmentally friendly twist. Glob says this section of the brewery was overhauled three years ago to improve water and energy conservation. He says 20 years ago it took nine liters of water for one liter of beer. Now they need just under five liters for one liter of beer. Glob says their fermentation and storage process happens in this room, which he says is bigger than in other breweries. He says the reason is their approach to the process requires two different tanks. Gärung und Lagerung noch in zwei verschiedenen Tanks machen. Wenn diese Prozesse der Hauptgärung zu Ende sind, when these fermentation processes are over, depending on whether we have top fermenting or bottom fermenting, the yeast settles and different layers are created in these tanks, which contain up to 100,000 liters. And during that storage, all residues can really be broken down in such a way that these beers produce no headache. For this, you simply need time as well as an awful lot of energy to cool. But afterwards, we have a well-clarified beer, a clear beer that is free of unwanted byproducts. You could get that in other ways, but we just let the yeast and the storage take their time. So what's important to the monks is what we do with our brewing, to do things at the right time and give them the right amount of time. I asked Glob why stick with the purity law given all of their other innovations to improve their product and process. Because we believe that the purity law is first a quality characteristic of Bavarian and German beer, and because the purity law, I believe, offers such a wide range of possible variations with so few ingredients that we have not yet exhausted them. So what do you think of the craft beer scene in Germany? Do you see it as competition? That's always the question of what a craft beer means. There are also breweries in America that rightly call themselves craft, but they are many times larger than our breweries. So the question is, what is craft? Craft in the sense that there is a philosophy behind it that values beer as a food and values the raw materials and treats them accordingly. In that case, craft is certainly an enrichment and, in my opinion, also a driver of innovation. That doesn't mean that places like our monastic brewery necessarily have to make craft beers, but we actually see it as a confirmation of what we have been doing here for decades and centuries. But many beer drinkers and brewers in Germany appear dismissive of the purity law. Do you see it as a problem that craft beer is becoming more popular? 
Also Biervielfalt ist, glaube ich, etwas, was wirklich davon... Well, I think beer diversity is something that really depends on the fact that there are people who experiment and that there are brewers who actually continue to work according to this purity law and are innovative there too. What's exciting is the bandwidth. But it would be a shame if every beer now had to be brewed with raspberries. So... The diversity is what counts, and we are on the side of the purity law. And basically what craft brewing has done for beer as a drink overall is the appreciation of that drink as a whole. So in your opinion, the purity law should remain? Yes. Because it is the oldest food law in the world, it is something that has helped shape our culture and tradition. And I believe that the mixture of these simply creates the diversity that actually reflects what people want to drink and enjoy today. But German officials have tried and failed thus far to get UNESCO to recognize the Reinheitsgebot as a world cultural heritage. The UN body says beer production has become too industrial. So what is the future of the Reinheitsgebot and beer in Germany? Will there be more space for craft beer? Dina asked beer historian Christina Schönberger. Yeah, I don't think that is um, actually a contrast. So I think even with the Reinheitsgebot, I'm quite confident that um, beer is definitely a beverage that will always be drunk, and specifically if people are facing crisis. So I'm quite confident that the beer consumption um, at some point will stabilize or maybe increase again. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for alcohol-free beers or beers with low alcohol to um, be attractive to younger consumers. And um, if it's not, if you don't call it a beer, you can do so many different beverages or mixtures with beer and lemonade or water. Um, but I think in terms of beverages, um, there's enough potential for beer-type beverages for the future to gain um, a good market share. We hope you enjoyed this episode, perhaps even over a German beer. Thanks for listening to Common Ground Berlin. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, who with senior producer Dina El-Sayed reported this story sponsored by the Checkpoint Charlie Foundation. Our social media editor is Stefano Montali. Common Ground Berlin is funded by a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. And our partners are the German Marshall Fund of the United States and Goethe Institute. All of our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CG Berlin Podcast. <laughs>